Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to reaching your heart pastor michael oxentenko starts a message today entitled the lamb slain from the foundation of the world we will bring this message to you in two parts today and the next time we get together and we hope that you enjoy it remember that you can always go to reachingyourheart.com to listen to this message in its entirety if you miss any portion of it That's reachingyourheart.com. Look for the broadcast schedule there on the main page. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, we want to go home. We want to live on Zion's land and not on ours. To have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And to be citizens of another realm. Give us the Lord Jesus and give us to him. In Jesus' name, amen. I never get tired of making a simple but profound statement. It's not profound because I make it. It's profound because it's the truth. Jesus died for the whole world. I mean, He didn't just die for the Jewish nation. The atonement reaches to the west. It reaches to the east. And when the arms of Christ were stretched on the cross of Calvary, it reached around the world and embraced the world. And Christ signed the emancipation papers of the human race with His blood at the cross of Calvary. If I didn't believe that, I would not be in this desk, not be preaching from the Bible. I would find another occupation. Because that is what the Word of God teaches. Radical truth that no world religion was able to proclaim. Because no world religion has the truth that only Jesus brought from God the Father. The emancipation papers of the human race were signed with the blood of Jesus. Friend, Jesus died for the whole world. But the Bible teaches that the whole world, with the exception of a few at the end of time, will worship the beast. The beast of the book of Revelation. I mean, a radically unfortunate reality we will find at the end of time. The beast is antichrist in the book of Revelation. Why? Because the beast takes the place of Jesus Christ in the lives of those for whom Jesus died. That's why it's Antichrist. The beast in the book of Revelation is, if you really study it out, it has seven phases of world dominion. It has a church-state phase in the Middle Ages, but in the broader sense, it's the world kingdom system that has seven heads because there are seven eras of world dominion with satanic control from Babylon to the end of time. The beast has a pre-existence before it comes as Antichrist in the great pagan kingdoms of antiquity. But during the Middle Ages, for 1260 years, 42 months, it was a church-state fusion. At the time of the end, the harlot, which is the church, will ride the beast. But she is not the beast. She will control and manipulate an oppressive world kingdom order in which church and state are fused together. During the sixth phase, the beast is not. The Bible says the beast was, is not, is coming. Because the world kingdom system was fractured, the Holy Roman Empire was pulled apart by the French Revolution. We live today in a divided world of nationalism. The great nationalist revolution of 1848 
created the environment in Europe that brought World War I, World War II. We still have the problem of the war on terror. There is no unified world order today, and that's what the beast represents, an oppressive unified world order that operates at Satan's command. The beast was, is not, the book of Revelation says, and he's coming back. Now, just like Jesus was resurrected and made alive again, and what day was Jesus resurrected on? Does anybody know? Basic Bible knowledge here, Sunday. The beast has his deadly wound, it's healed. He mimics the Sunday resurrection of Jesus Christ in the full unfolding of the world kingdom dominion to the end of time. And so he will complete his journey as Antichrist. As Christ had a pre-existence before he came to minister for three and a half years, the beast has a pre-existence in the pagan kingdoms of the earth. When he shows up, he has a time period analogous to Jesus, but prophetic in its significance. 1,260 years, three and a half prophetic years. A time, time, and dividing of times. Christ for three and a half literal years which is different than this, ministered to the world as the ultimate Christian, as the messenger of God's covenant. The beast in a church-state fusion in the Middle Ages tore down the Christian church during the church-state era of the beast's antichrist phase. But the beast comes back. The beast gets resurrected. In other words, a world order emerges at the very time of the end that focuses upon God's people and persecutes again just before the coming of Christ. Christ lived, he died, and he rose again. The beast was, is not, and he will be healed from his deadly wound. Jesus was raised on Sunday. For this to be true for the beast, he must replicate the Sunday resurrection of Jesus Christ. What that means is through Sunday, persecution will one day be introduced on the world era. Friend, we are living in a time when the world is uniting so end-time events can transpire. We are in end-time events. We're not waiting for them anymore. And one of the evidences of this is the deadness of the ear that refuses to study the Bible and the signs of the times within the church, an attitude toward prophetic teaching that is not from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ told the Jewish nation that their house was left desolate because they did not study the prophecies and they did not know the time of their visitation. And if it was true for the Jewish nation before Jesus came, how much more true is it for those who claim to be the followers of Jesus on the eve of the Advent? We must know our whole Bible, not just the parts we like, the whole Bible to be ready for Christ's coming. Friend, Jesus is the one who has a right to rule in your life. Why? Because Jesus gave his life for you. You're part of that number that Jesus died for. You're the reason he reached around the world. And embraced the world with love at the cross of Calvary. He is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And as we near the end of time, the world will be yanking on your cords so you will not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a fact. Revelation 13, 7, it was allowed, speaking of the beast power, that world kingdom order at the end, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and tongue and nation. And that's why it's the beast. It's a world kingdom order. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out. When you look at this passage, what makes the difference between those who worship the beast and those who do not? What makes the difference is that there is a group at the end who have the Lord Jesus Christ in their life, 
who have their names written in the Lamb's book of life all the way back to the foundation of the world. There is something in Eden they have that connects them to the Lamb, and they are not part of this oppressive world era. Revelation 13, 7 plainly states that the beast was allowed to make war with the saints. When I hear a statement like that, I ask the question, why would God allow the world to make war on His people? Why would He do that? Why give them that kind of power? I thought being a Christian was an easy kind of thing. I mean, popular. God blesses you when you become a Christian. See, all your problems go away, right? And that's what they say on television, but we know it's not true. You become a Christian, you stand for Christ, everything breaks loose against you. I thought things get easy when you're baptized and all your troubles go away. No. This verse says that God allows the beast to make war on his people. God allows it. You see, it's no accident that the devil throws trouble in your life. As soon as you become a representative of Jesus Christ, you have a big bullseye target sitting on your back. That's a fact. The Christian is not compatible with the world. The Christian is in the world, but the Christian is not of the world. Here is the reason God allows the beast to make war on you. Philippians 1.29. Take your Bibles. Turn there with me. Amazing verse here. Paul writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake. And that's an amazing passage. The Christian suffers for what reason here? The Christian suffers for the sake of Jesus Christ as a gift. I remember my father, when he was dying, he quoted this passage and another from my favorite theologian saying, there has been no greater privilege given to me than to share in the sufferings of Christ. And whatever I'm going through, it's okay because Christ suffered it in advance. Friend, if you're having a hard time in life, if you're standing for God and the kitchen sink is being thrown at you, praise God for you. Because God has given you the chance to stand as a witness for Jesus Christ. I mean, people went to the flames in the Middle Ages in the early Christian church. They died worshiping God as the heat of the fire overtook their life. Because they were thankful that they could share a little bit in the sufferings that were infinite within the body of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Philippians 3.10, that I might know Him, Paul says, and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. That was the attitude that gave us the witness of the apostolic era and the Christian church in the Middle Ages when they overcame the dragon by the word of their testimony. I mean, we live in a day where Christians are asking what they can get out of the Christian church instead of what they can give back to Christ who died for them. The attitude is wrong, the perspective faulty. The Christian, in the great sense of it, doesn't suffer outside of Christ. The Christian suffers in Christ, for Christ, because Christ has suffered for him. Because he or she has that big bullseye on the back, the Christian suffering is not an independent pain vigil that has no connection to reality, no purpose. It has meaning. Paul says, I desire to share in Christ's suffering. What's evident here is that Jesus has suffered. Jesus was the supreme sufferer for our sins. No human being has suffered more than Jesus and will suffer more than Jesus. Christ was persecuted for the truth's sake. The world couldn't endure Jesus' presence without just doing away with Him. From the time Christ became a public figure, Jesus was only on the world stage for three and a half years. And then He was snuffed out. The world couldn't handle Him. 
And the world had had enough of him. In two verses, Jesus describes the animosity toward him that never relented in the world. John 7, 7. He says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Friend, Christ Jesus came for testimony. He came to bear witness to the truth. And the truth about God is incompatible with the lie that is the stuff of this world. Jesus called men and women to radical obedience to God, not to something in between. He called them to say no to the world when God's law and God's word directs the Christian on a different kind of path. That's not popular Christian theology today, but that's Christ theology. Christ said the world hates me because I speak the truth to the world and about the world. You know, it's so much easier to preach to people and tell them what they want to hear than to say what they need to hear. It's easy. I have been at different places in my ministry where it was tempting to do that. Where there have been forces that wanted me to do that. But there is a fire in my bones that comes from the Word of God. And I will not preach to people what they want to hear. I will preach what God's Word declares. Because I do not want to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and see people swept into eternity because we did not speak the truth in this place. It wouldn't take any effort to adapt the message so it's popular rather than declare the message because it's God's Word. And the day that cannot be done here is the day I don't want to be here. And I'm grateful that here is a place where that can happen. I preach the Sabbath, friend, as a Christian pastor because it's in the Bible and it's the Word of God with no apologies. I don't need to be a pastor of a mega church if that church isn't obeying Christ, if it really isn't His church in conformity to the Word of God. I pastored a mega church once, and one day the leader of that conference set me down and told me that I didn't have any business preaching the mark of the beast and the prophecies in the pulpit of that mega church. I respectfully reminded him that Jesus is the one who is in charge of the church and that we don't throw the Bible away to be popular in church. He didn't buy it and I didn't obey him because my charter, my ordination did not come from men. It came from God because no man or woman has a right to prevent men and women in the world from hearing the truth that is for this time. I lost my job weeks after that visit and I don't miss that job at all. I'd rather be unemployed and proclaiming the word of God than employed and lying to the congregation on the eve of the advent of Jesus Christ. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, Jesus says, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You know, this is stout language coming from Jesus. This is very clear here. We don't have to guess at what he means. The world hates you because it hates Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the world hates you because of your connection to Jesus. I know this person who works and makes a practice to say something every now and then about Jesus in her employment. And, you know, you can talk about any and everybody today. You can talk about Confucius. You can talk about a philosopher. You can talk about an atheist. As soon as you mention Jesus, it's violating the separation of church and state. That's silliness. Christ is one of the great people of history. He should at least be allowed to be a component in our discussion without shutting it down. And the pressure was applied on her and her work situation to say nothing about the Lord Jesus. You know, the world kingdom system is incompatible with Jesus Christ. So what does the Christian do in a world that hates Christ? The Christian bears witness to Christ. 
The true Christian stands for Jesus, no matter what the world has to say. Now, here's the paradox. When the world persecutes you for following Jesus, it thinks it is doing the very work of God that you need. In other words, the world persecutes on the false platform of a fake moral high ground that is a lie. The world has no problem coming up with an idea that sounds spiritual so it can persecute those who are really following God's word. John 16, 2. Jesus says they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father nor me. Revelation 13, 5. The beast has no trouble speaking out against God's truth. Well, I'll let you know it's a lot cooler in here than where the worshipers of the beast are going. Revelation 13, 6. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Blaspheming his name, his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. Friend, God's name and God's law are the same thing in the Bible. The world hates God's name because it hates his law. Jesus came to share the name of God with the world. John 17, 6. He's very clear. I have manifested thy name to the men whom thou hast given me out of the world. Thine they were. Thou gavest them to me. And what does it mean? He tells us the next phrase. They have kept thy word. So God's name and his word are linked. You can't separate them. More specifically, God's name and God's law are the same thing. Psalms 119.55, I remember thy name in the night, O Lord, and keep thy law. So when he blasphemes God's name, he's attacking the law of God. I've heard Christians do this. They'll get in their pulpits And they'll say God's law was nailed to the cross, misinterpreting Colossians 2. Not having a clue what that passage is saying. What was nailed to the cross was human tradition in that passage. What was nailed to the cross was everything that was against us. The Bible says in Colossians 2, the Sabbath is for us in the same passage. So they don't even read a verse in its context. They go for something that will justify them in their lawless attitudes toward God. And so we have rebellion in the Christian church today. The beast makes war on God's people because they keep his law, because Jesus died for them. And they value the character of God that brought Jesus to the cross of Calvary to ratify the law of God, the everlasting covenant, with his name and love in red in the blood of Christ at the cross of Calvary. So they belong to a different kind of kingdom than the world because they value heaven's principles. I have found that when a man or woman chooses to keep the seventh day Sabbath, and that's Saturday... It's Saturday. Everyone comes out of the woodwork to provide opportunities to break it. I mean, it's just a fact. The world kingdom system doesn't care about God's law because it really doesn't care about Jesus who came for testimony to bear witness to the truth. Friend, Jesus looked down the timeline to the end of time for you. For you. And Jesus knew that you would need, that you would deeply need an experience with him. To keep him close to you. And so he gave the Sabbath till the end of time to keep you in Christ. He knew that his people would need to fellowship with him on his holy day, the Lord's day. And Jesus knew that the world would persecute his people for the same reason it persecuted him. In the Gospel of John, Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath day. And he did the same thing in John 9. And it made the religious leaders mad. Why? Because Christ brought love to the Sabbath day. He made it for love. The religious leaders accused Jesus of treason and they finally found a way to crucify him 
Because Jesus sought out a man to make his body whole on the Sabbath day. When a man or woman comes to church on the Lord's Day, which is Saturday, Christ does the same thing. He takes the Word of God and the Gospel and He heals people on that day. The Sabbath was made for man and Jesus is the Son of Man. But more than that, Jesus came to heal the human race as the Son of Man on the Sabbath day. After the fall, Jesus has set the Sabbath day aside to heal His people from sin. It is the Lord's day for the redemption of the human race. Pope Francis made the announcement that the whole world needs to keep Sunday. Have you noticed that? Are you watching the news? Made international news. And we're not in tune as we ought to be with the events as they're moving to end time fulfillment. This statement was made. A work-free Sunday, with the exception of necessary services, says that our priority is not to economics, but the human being, gratuity, non-commercial relations, rather family and friends. For believers, it means a relationship with God and with the community. So notice here the corporate nature of his language, not just the individual admonition. He goes on to say, perhaps it is time to ask whether it is a true freedom to work on Sundays. Francis continued, this also raises the issue of working Sundays, which affects not only believers, but affects everyone as an ethical choice. So it doesn't matter what world religion you're in, Sunday is the day you need to rest, according to the leader of the Church of Rome. He goes on to say, we are losing this free space. The question is, what do we want to prioritize? Very clearly... A trial balloon has been placed out there for Sunday becoming the universal day of worship for the world. At least a day of rest for family and economic purposes. He is saying that Sunday is the day of rest for the entire human race. Christian, non-Christian, atheist, it doesn't matter. We all need it. And it doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It'll help the family. It'll pull our society together. Aren't we living in a fractured world today where the threat of terrorism is asking Serious questions. How do we fuse everything back together? How do we preserve Western civilization? Well, the answer is coming from the pontiff of Rome that Sunday is perhaps a key to save Western civilization. Now, there's only one problem with this theory. The Bible teaches that Saturday is the Sabbath and that Saturday is the Lord's Day. Sunday is not in the law of God. It's man's law. Mark 2.27, he said to them, Jesus speaking, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And what is the Lord's day? Verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Pope of Rome has no authority to tell you what day to keep. When Protestants follow his example and allow his authority to take the place of the Word of God, they're not following Jesus Christ. Christ recognized the seventh day as the Lord's day and the Sabbath day. Now, I want to show you something from the book of Revelation. I've been working for a number of years on linguistic analysis of the book of Revelation and Daniel. I'd like to share a small chiasm. Now, what's a chiasm? The Bible uses chiastic structures to encode information so we get the full meaning of the text. What you don't find in the linear text is found in a linguistic chiastic relationship. Now, a chiastic relationship is simply a chiasm is a rhetorical or literary figure in which words, grammatical constructions, or concepts are repeated in reverse order, and I might add, in sequence, in the same or modified form. And in a biblical chiasm, the book ends, the extreme ends meet in the middle, and that's how you know you have it. And it's very tight, and there are no gaps. 
And the Bible is an array of chiastic structures. There are big ones and then smaller ones. It's like mathematical fractals. And when they chose the books of the Bible, they could tell that this was in the Bible. And that's why they knew it was God's Word. It's one of the evidences of God's Word. Here's a simple example of a chiastic statement in a single sentence. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. So the extreme ends, A and A prime, you have B and B prime in the center, and they're in order. And both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles utilize this literary technique. Now let's move to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. This is a subset chiasm at the third level in the book of Revelation. There's an overarching structure, two subsets, and then seven beneath it. This is one of the seven. I call it the Son of Man chiasm. It goes from Revelation 1.1 to 2.1. Now I'm just going to show you here. We start in Revelation 1.3. You see the word, the things written in it. All the way over to the beginning of the next chapter, you see the other side, right. We go down to the next section, B and B prime, to the seven churches in Asia, Revelation 1.4. Now we go all the way to verse 20 in sequence on the other side. The angels of the seven churches, the seven churches said twice. Moving on, C, the one who is, who was, the one who is coming from the seven spirits. And Revelation 1.4 has its match in Revelation 1.19. Which you saw, which is, which will be after these things. The mystery of the seven stars. The next one, D and D prime. The firstborn from the dead, Revelation 1.4. The other side of death and Hades, verse 18. E, the one who loves us and loosed us from our sins. E prime. On the other side, Revelation 1.18, I have the keys. So he loses us from death. F, glory to him in power. What does it say? Forever and ever, Revelation 1.6. Look at F prime, 1.18. Behold, I'm alive forever and ever. So it's moving toward a center, G and G prime. Unfortunately, we need to leave it there for today's Reaching Your Heart, but you can go online to listen to the entire message without interruption. That's reachingyourheart.com, reachingyourheart.com. Thank you so much for listening today. Please stop by the worship service this Saturday at 11 o'clock. The new address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That again is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. We hope to see you there. For Pastor Mike and everyone here also, please know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.